Well, good morning again. I'm Doug Moss, as I said before, one of the pastors here at St. John. And we're kicking off a new series, and just in time for Father's Day and for a whole new set that at least ties in a little bit with the series. You know, it's nice and natural. Uh, And so as we talk about this new series called Tapping Into God's Voice, I want to explain the metaphor that we're going to be using for the next four weeks. And, And to explain that, I want to start with just thinking for a moment about the tree. Right, we look at a tree. Trees are awesome, right? Trees already provide so many blessings for us. They give us shade uh, on a hot summer day. Uh, They breathe out oxygen into the air so that we humans can breathe. Uh, You can cut them down and the wood is solid enough and strong enough that you can build homes out of it. You can use it to to build your own uh, structures and supports. You can even use that wood for fuel, for fire and energy. Uh, Any way you look at it, trees provide so many amazing blessings. Uh, that you think, you know, why would anyone even want to look for more? They already do so many good things. Uh, Let's just um, be appreciative of what trees do. But then, somewhere along the line, somebody, I'm thinking probably after a couple of beers, uh, looked at a tree and said, what would happen if we drilled a hole into the trunk of this tree and saw if anything came out? And thus, the concept of the spile was born. Have any of you guys seen or heard of a spile before? So this is a spile. And it's true. And on top of all of the benefits that trees provide and all of the great uses for them, if you drill a hole just a couple of inches in and you stick this spile in there, uh, something's going to come out, sap, that we can then turn into sugar, uh, you know, molasses. Uh, and if you guys don't know, sugar is awesome. I mean, whole, whole economies have been built around sugar. You know, whenever that person figured that out, like they were, they tapped into a gold mine. Uh, and I think that that represents pretty well uh, how a lot of us relate to God. You know, God already just kind of provides a lot of blessings for us, right? You know, like, he, oh, I'm, we're getting into heaven. You know, God makes sure we're getting into heaven. God loves me. Great. Um, if maybe something goes wrong, you know, I can pray to God and I can trust that God's going to, you know, hopefully intervene in my life. Uh, and for a lot of people, that's probably enough. They say, all right, that's good. I, I know I'm saved and, and I don't necessarily need uh, anything more from God. Uh, in fact, I even um, was bumped into someone from St. John uh, just out and about, and, uh, and I think they felt, you know, they knew who I was, and they felt a little guilty, like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I know I haven't been to church in, in like, over a year. He said, but, but it's okay, because, like, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. I don't, I don't really, you know, need that church thing. That's for other people. Other people need that. And, and if the only benefit of God is knowing that you're going to heaven— then I think that guy's probably right. In fact, don't even come to church once a year. I mean, I mean if, if all God is is some kind of eternal life insurance, you know, this get-out-of-hell-free card that you can keep in your pocket, then, then I don't know that you need to come to church. Um, and I think that that blessing is something that God does provide. But what I would maintain is that I think God actually provides more, and that, in fact, he desires more for you than just simply this vague assurance that you're going to heaven. Like, that is absolutely included, but maybe there's more. And maybe if, when we came to church regularly, you know, once, once a week, the, the way, uh, you know, we're encouraged in Scripture, maybe we would tap into something deeper. On top of everything else God already provides for us, maybe if we figured out how to tap into his voice in a very personal and real way, maybe we would discover untold blessings that we never would have guessed at before, just like you'd never guessed that there's amazing sugar hiding within this already amazing tree. 
And so that's what we're going to be looking at for the next four weeks. And, and so we're going to start uh, today by looking uh, at a sort. well, for all four weeks, we're going to be looking at Old Testament figures uh, and how they heard God's voice, how they spoke with God and received things from God and what that accomplished for them in their life. And for today, uh, we're going to look into this idea of, does God have more for me? Is there actually, if I take the time to tap in, to listen for God's voice, does he actually have something more for me beyond just saying that, yep, you're saved, you're going to heaven, have a good life? And I think he does, and we're going to look at Judges chapter 6, the story of Gideon. Uh, And so I I beg your indulgence, Uh, I'm going to go through the story of Gideon pretty thoroughly, uh, and partly that's because I actually uh, prepped this weekend's message with my Ironman group. I'm, I'm in an Ironman group, a bunch of guys that get up at ungodly hours of the morning to get together and study the Bible. Uh, and I asked them, I, they asked what I was preaching, and I said, oh, Gideon, and these are three guys who have made the commitment to be in God's word, uh, to get up early, to discuss it, and all three of them looked at me blankly and said, we've never heard the story of Gideon ever. So if those guys haven't heard the story of Gideon, I'm going to assume many of you haven't either. So we're going to do the whole thing, all right? So it's Judges chapter 6. We're going to be skipping around because it's a pretty long story, uh, but hopefully that'll um, catch you up to speed pretty quick on what we're doing. So to set the stage... This is the time uh, in history where God's people have finally possessed the promised land that he, that he said they could have. And the promised land, if, if, you, if you've watched VeggieTales, you remember anything, is the land flowing with milk and honey and everything's amazing, right? And it's true. This land was flowing with milk and honey. They, they grew amazing crops. And the Israelites, uh, uh, you know, it was everything that they thought it would be. Here's the problem, was that every harvest, this outside group of people called the Midianites would wait for all these amazing crops to to be harvested, for all these beautiful vineyards to have their grapes, and then they'd swoop in on the Israelites on their camels, which in those times was like, you know, the equivalent of like military drones, right? Like they have camels. There's nothing we can do to protect ourselves against the Midianites because they've got camels. And they'd come in and they'd take all the food that the Israelites had spent all year growing, and then they'd go back to Midian uh, and eat the food, and the Israelites were poor didn't have enough food to get through the winter. Uh, and so that was happening every year. It's like the movie The Bug's Life, if you guys have seen that, right? Like with the grasshoppers and the ants. Like they come in, they steal all the food, and then they leave. And the Israelites are crying out to God, God, you know, what's going on? Like, aren't you supposed to be protecting us? Uh, and they were conveniently ignoring the fact that as a people, they were not worshiping God exclusively anymore that they themselves were, were violating the contracts of their own covenant with God. They were trusting in other gods. They were, they were doing all sorts of things that God had said, hey, this is not good for you. Uh, they kind of ignored that, and they just said, hey, God, how come you're letting these Midianites come in and bother us and steal all of our food? Okay, so that's the background. That's the setting. So in the midst of this environment with, the, with this annual raiding of the Midianites and the Israelites not having enough food to eat, in that moment, Gideon enters the stage. So we pick up in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And so just to unpack that for a second, uh, you normally would thresh wheat out on a hill uh, and you'd let the wind help you. They didn't have combines back then. So you'd thresh your wheat and the wind would blow all the chaff off and then it would leave you with the grains of wheat and that was the way you did it. The problem with doing it that way is that anyone from miles around could see the cloud of dust and chaff that, that came from that 
refreshing. Uh, and it was a key way to let the Midianites know that, oh, hey, over there, there's somebody who's got some fresh, freshly harvested grain. And so the Midianites would come and that, that would be their signal for how they'd find you to steal your food. Uh, and so Gideon is threshing in the wine press, which is very hard to do, but at least it's secretive and keeps the Midianites from hopefully raiding you. And in that moment, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. He said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Translated, Gideon's response to a miraculous voice from the Lord is, what have you done for me lately, God? He didn't take it as this uh, all-out blessing, this great moment, this awe, honor and awestruck moment filled, filled with, with wonder. Nope. He reacted to the voice of God by complaining. And I think that that is true for us. You see, the thing about Gideon, just to uh, describe him a little bit for you guys, is he's actually a pretty good analog to those of us who are living uh, the modern American life. You see, yes, there was this problem with the Midianites coming in, and so there, there was some turmoil and some hardship in their country, but Gideon himself was actually doing pretty well. Uh, you're going to find out later. He had 10 servants. Uh, his father was a man of some political importance uh, in their region uh, who had a lot of political sway and clout. Uh, Gideon himself is not really hurting. Uh, and I think that describes those of us who, who live this you know, middle-class American lifestyle. Our lives are, at the very least, fine. You know, we, we've generally got a house over our, or, you know, a roof over our heads. We, we've got a job, and it may not be the most fulfilling, but at least it, you know, provides what we need financially. And, and, and that's what Gideon was living. Yeah, there were problems, but you know what? He kind of kept his head down, didn't cause any trouble, uh, threshed his wheat where he needed to thresh it, and, and moved on. And, and he wasn't necessarily even looking for anything more. Uh, and so when you're living that life, uh, at that point, I think the voice of God does feel like an interruption. Uh, it doesn't feel like something that you were desperately crying out for uh, and longing for. It was, it's, it's something where, where he's saying, hey, look, I just need to get this grain threshed. You know, I, I don't really need miraculous interventions right now. I'm just trying to get through my day, live my life, provide for my family. And I think the voice of God in those moments doesn't feel like this amazing help. It just feels like one more hardship in our life. And I'm sharing that with you partly because that's how it feels to me. Like, like one of the ways I think the voice of God speaks to me is by throwing people in my lap who need God's love and mercy and grace. And, and my reaction to those moments is not usually, oh, good, here's another person I can love and serve. My reaction is, I have so many things on my to-do list today. I don't, I don't have the space for one more thing or an unexpected need uh, from someone else around me. You know, God's voice, it is an interruption and it is a disruption in our lives. But it continues on. All right, so then the Lord turns to Gideon, who's just been complaining at him, and says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest uh, in Manasseh, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, and I myself am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. 
And isn't that so typical too, right? God is actually giving this awesome promise to Gideon. Uh, And Gideon's first reaction is to complain. His second reaction is to make excuses. You say, ah, you got the wrong guy, God. Like, I'm not the one you want for this. Uh, this, isn't, this isn't me. I, my clan's the weakest. I'm, I'm the smallest. You know, and, and you kind of hear hidden in that, you know, like we're not the wealthiest, uh, even though that's not precisely true. Uh, and, and it's just excuse after excuse after excuse. And I think so often excuses become one of the means that we have to get through life ourselves. That there's an excuse that keeps us from doing this thing, even if it might be a good thing or a good opportunity or, or a, uh, an opportunity to make a big impact on someone's life. The excuses are always right there. And ultimately, I think the worst excuse of all, the one that at least um, rings uh, through my life, like every year that I get older, uh, the the excuse that looms largest in my head, I'd say it's even more of an excuse and actually a fear. The fear that looms in my head is, is it's too late. You know, maybe if I'd gotten on the right path 20 years ago, maybe I could have been the kind of person who did this great heroic act. Or maybe uh, if, if I'd been trained right or picked the right career path, I could have been someone that was doing this. But, but every year that goes by, that's one more year where my choices uh, get more limited, where my opportunities diminish, where my abilities uh, get weaker and farther down. And, the, and so the worst excuse of all is this idea that, that I've missed my chance. And even if God were to come to me today and say, hey, I want you to save the Israelites. I want you to do something big that, that my, my highest and worst fear would be, I missed that boat, God. Like maybe if you told me when I was 17, you know, maybe then I could have made some choices and been the kind of person I needed to be. And in that moment, there's a quote. I actually carry this quote around with me all the time uh, from the author George Eliot. Uh, and George Eliot says this, it is never too late to be what you might have been. You see, I think Gideon heard God saying to him, oh, you're a mighty warrior. And he said, ah, I'm just a guy threshing my wheat in a wine press, man. Like, maybe I could have been a mighty warrior, but, but, but that, it's too late for me. It is never too late to be what you might have been. Whatever choices, excuses, failures you might have done in the path, today is a new day, and today is a new choice, and it is never too late to make a new choice, ever. And if we get past those excuses, I think we'll be shocked and amazed by what things can possibly happen. In fact, let's see what happens after Gideon's excuses finally wear out. So, so God finally says, hey, I don't care what your excuses are. We're going to do this. He does this miraculous fire sign. Uh, and, and, and proves to Gideon this really is God talking to you. Uh, and so then from there, God gives Gideon his first assignment. And his first assignment, even though he says you're a mighty warrior, you're going to destroy all the Midianites, the first assignment is not go to battle. This is the first assignment. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering to God. So Gideon took 10 of his servants. Again, he's doing better than he thinks. uh, And he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And in the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, 
Who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. I think it was one of the servants squealed. I think they, they caved to the pressure. And then the people of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Look, whoever fights for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. And so, because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jerub Baal that day, uh, which means let Baal contend with him. All right, so just to unpack a couple of things uh, in this section, I want you, first of all, to notice, any of you catch the detail? So there's this pagan idol, this idol to a god besides God, and who owns it? Do you guys catch that? Gideon. It's his family's altar. It's his dad who built the altar to Baal and has the Asherah pole beside it. God isn't telling him, oh, go cut down that other person's thing or go take a stand in the public square. God's actually saying, hey, first fix your own family. Uh, And again, as I read this story, I see so many parallels to the American way of life because, because here's the key thing. These people weren't worshiping Baal and Asherah and these other gods instead of God. They were worshiping God himself and some other gods as well. And, and I think in our own discourse today, we, we act like there's kind of two camps. You know, there's the, oh, the people who, who love and worship, you know, the one true God, and then there's all those other people out there that, that reject God and hate God and want to persecute God's people. Uh, and, and that might be true as far as it goes. I think there's probably a little more nuance than that, but I think even more insidious than that is these people who are within the community of God who absolutely profess God as their Lord and Savior, and whether they realize it or not, are worshiping other gods alongside him. You see, we don't put uh, poles up in worship of gods anymore. We don't build altars uh, and temples. You know, so we read that story and we think, oh, those weird ancient people that always were building temples and poles. Uh, and, and we forget that just because we don't do that doesn't mean we're not actually doing the same actions. The way we do that uh, is when you look at what you put your trust and hope and comfort in. See, and when I look around, even at my own life and and just those of the people in my circle, see, we trust in God and the high-paying job that we sacrificed so much for. We trust in God and picking the right political party that will help save America because God alone won't be able to save America. We need the right politics to save America as well. We trust God and uh, the earthly comforts that we have surrounded ourselves with to help us get through 100-degree summers in Missouri. See, it's not this black and white, the people who love God and the people who don't love God. It's actually the the people who love God. Also, it is so easy for us to have these temples and these poles and these idols that we worship without even realizing it. And the first thing God says to us is we are on a journey to try and know fully what he wants for us and what blessings and benefits he could bring to us is that we've got to ruthlessly examine ourselves, examine our own families, and look at what things we have privileged alongside God in our lives. And again, if it helps, don't think temples and poles. Think, where do you put your trust? Where do you put your comfort? And that's going to get you on your journey to discovering where you might have some split loyalties, uh, not just from God, in your own life. 
But not only that, is to recognize that in this moment where Gideon's been asked to do something, that he has a very real fear is going to have a consequence. That if he tears down this temple, people are going to get mad at him. They're going to try to kill him. He was right. But in that moment, also notice that God promised him, I will be with you. And in earthly terms, like, yeah, there's no reason that crowd should have not killed Gideon that day. He violated their religious beliefs. He violated their structures that they were going to kill him. And yet God protected him just like he said he would. Using the the clout of, of Gideon's earthly father, God protected him in that moment. And I think that we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again that this is what God does for us, his children. He gives us challenging things to do. He asks us uh, to to take action. Uh, And yet he also promises that he will be with us, sparing us even from death. It's what Jesus himself did 2,000 years ago, that each and every one of us had an appointment with death. We had a grave waiting for us, the end of which was not any sort of meaningful life or existence. It was death. That's the, that's the finish line. That's the end of the road. And God said, no, I am with you. And he protected each and every one of us from a life that, that is cut short and ends with no meaning or value. And instead, through the act of Jesus Christ on the cross, he opened up for us, uh, not only sparing us from death, but then opening up this eternal life, this chance to have all of the blessings that God wants for us, not just in our earthly existence, but for all time in heaven with him. This is what God does. He saves us. We see an example of it in Gideon as he saves Gideon's life from the angry mob. And we see it in our own lives because we know that he has done this for us as well. Yeah, there's things that we've got to be vigilant about, about examining ourselves. But, but it all comes from this place of knowing that God rescues us even from death. But even that isn't always enough for us, right? Like even Gideon... Uh, experiencing in a very real way how God spared him uh, from the death of the crowd, uh, it wasn't enough for him to still charge forth into what God's voice was telling him to do. You know, so the next part of the story is Gideon uh, finally says, all right, and he issues out the call and says, all right, I want to raise up an army to fight the Midianites. And 32,000 men answer the call. 32,000 men group up in, in the town of Abiezer and, and say, all right, Gideon, we're here to fight for you. And Gideon looks at those 32,000 men and says, I'm not sure. Let me check with God. All right, so let's go. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, all right, all right, all right. If you really mean it, If you're going to save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. And if there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will really save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And then Gideon said to God... Okay, don't be angry with me. Let me just make one more request, all right? Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, (laughs) this time, God, make the fleece dry and let the ground around it be covered with the dew. And that night, God did so. 
Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Uh, and if you're one of those people that has not heard the Gideon story before, this is maybe the thing you have heard is Gideon's fleece has become kind of a phrase uh, in our culture that people, when it talks about testing God or testing fate, is you put out a Gideon's fleece. But, but here's, here's the point I want to make for this is that, first of all, that's not something God actually tells us to do. Gideon wasn't being honorable. I think one of the things that we, um, when we look at Bible stories, we assume that everybody in the Bible is, is like a saint and holy and godly and pure. Uh, and what I hope you're seeing as we go through this story is Gideon was a guy, just a guy like you, like me, just a normal person uh, with all of his own fears, all of his own hangups, all of his own bad attitude, you know, complaining to God. Uh, and yet God in his mercy and gentleness supports Gideon even throughout his mistakes. And, and even as he's making these ridiculous tests, God says, all right, fine, let's do the fleece thing. You didn't believe me? All right, let's do it again. And I tell you, it gives me a little bit of hope because like this summer especially, I've been feeling kind of like a bad dad because uh, like my wife and I, we've been trying to figure out fun ways to fill the summer days for our children. Uh, and so we'll have a really good idea. We'll say, oh, hey, you know what? Uh, tonight we're, we'll take you guys out for a movie. You know, Incredibles 2 just came out. You know, we'll take you guys to Incredibles 2. Uh, and then we end up regretting it because we tell them that at like 8 in the morning. And for the next like 12 hours... It's every five minutes. Are you guys really going to take us to Incredibles 2 tonight? Really? Are we going to go to the movie tonight? You know, tonight, is that going to happen? Mom, dad, are we really going to see the movie tonight? And we're just tearing our hair out and we want to cancel the, the thing. But it also just makes me think, what have I done to you, children? Like, what promise did I break without realizing it? That, that when I tell you something good, like, you don't believe me and you need to be reassured. Uh, even, like, and even, like, at bedtime, which is only, like, a 30-minute ritual for us, which, which feels like three hours. Um, but, but whichever parent um, is, is taking point on bedtime, the other parent at the end gets to swoop in. Like, this is, like, the way I serve my wife. Like, I'll do bedtime, and all you have to do is the bedtime kiss at the end, right? Uh, and so, you know, so I do the whole thing. But I spend the whole 30 minutes with my daughter saying, so is mama going to come kiss me goodnight? Is mama going to come kiss me goodnight? Like, I'm like, go brush your teeth. And she's, she's brushing, is mama going to come kiss me goodnight? And, and I'm like, yes, she is. I promise you. And, and, and 30 minutes later, and again, we've never missed this. Like, we've never not done the, ki- the kiss goodnight. And they don't believe us. And, and it's made me, again, like, like self-doubt or worry that I'm a bad dad. But then I, I read a story like this, and it just reminds me, this is just human nature. This is how we're wired. God never broke a promise to Gideon or his people. He's always faithful to his word. And yet we always want to second guess. We always want to prove and prove and prove and prove. And and what I'm realizing is uh, that that's not ultimately a a knock on the parent or or the the God figure, but it's that, that fear so easily overtakes us. And this moment that even God might've shown up in the past, but maybe he won't show up in the future. And the only way we'll actually embrace and accept God's voice in our lives is if we're willing to actually trust his character. To say that he is faithful to what he's promised. And, and, if, and because he has been, I can cling to this promise. Even though fear tells me that, that he might not show up, I can trust that he will. And when he does, it's going to be amazing and powerful. And so the story continues with, uh, with Gideon like rousing the troops and find the, the fleeces for some reason finally convinced him and he went off. Uh, and I'm actually not going to tell you how the story ends. So this is your, if you really care and you want to find out how this battle of 32,000 Israelites against 150,000 Midianites, how it went down, Judges 6. I commend you uh, to check it out. And, and, and don't think it's just because it's the Bible, they win. You know, it could be one of those William Wallace Braveheart moments where like, you know, Gideon gets wiped out, but then they all rouse to victory or something. So check it out, find out how 
that battle ends. In the meantime, here's the point I want to draw today, is that just even in the section that we saw, uh, we see what I think is one of the, the first of the benefits and why it's so important to tap into God's voice. You see, when we let God's voice speak into our lives, he speaks two very important things over us that, that we cannot get in any meaningful and real way from any other source. You see, God's voice speaks our identity, and then out of our identity flows God's purpose for our lives. And you might look at that and say, oh, I can get identity and purpose elsewhere. Yeah, you can. But what I maintain is that it always falls short, because if you put your identity or try to find it in anything of this world, you're going to realize how quickly that falls apart. You put your identity in your job, and you just say, oh, I'm, you know, this is who I am, and then you lose that job. And now you're struggling to find identity again. Or you put your identity in relationships that you have, and then that relationship goes south, and then suddenly you don't. Or your identity is based on your success. Like, we can try to find our identity in other things. And what I promise you is that that will always ultimately fall short unless you find your identity from God himself. If you let his voice speak that over you. We saw it even in um, the section that we read today. So I'm going to actually back up a little bit and go back to verse 12. See, this is what God, the first thing God spoke to Gideon was this. He appeared again and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And if you're paying attention to the story, Gideon is anything but. He's a cowardly farmer. But God says to him, no, this is who you are. And it's easy to dismiss it. I I think sometimes I look at this and I think God maybe engages in wishful thinking. I'm like, oh, God wishes you were a mighty warrior. Uh, But no, but you got to understand that just like when you name your own child something, when you say to your child, you are such a great singer. Oh, I I just, I love the way that you, uh, you know, show care to your siblings. Like you are naming them and it is powerful and it is real. And when God names Gideon a mighty warrior, before he's even picked up a sword, he is a mighty warrior. What's really cool to me is, is God does so much with names, you know, and even as we you know, talk about the name change here at St. John that we're pursuing, this is another example of how God is routinely giving us new names. You see, Gideon, the name originally in Hebrew, you know what it actually means? It means chopper down, like person who chops things down, uh, which is the first thing God asked him to do was chop down an Asherah pole. Like his name was actually meant for what he did. And then the people, when he did that, gave him a new name, Jerubbaal, and they're like, oh, you know, you contend against Baal. Like he was getting new names, but ultimately the name that mattered most was the one that God gave him uh, in his maturity and in his old age, which was, you are a mighty warrior. God gave Gideon an identity. And then from that identity flows God's purpose for his life. And so then God says this in verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. His identity, his God-given identity informs his God-given purpose. So for Gideon, it looks like this, all right? God's voice to Gideon says, you are your identity. You're a mighty warrior. And your purpose is to save Israel, which is amazing. Even more amazing is this. God does that for each and every one of you too. I'm not saying that you're going to have a conversation with God on this kind of personal level where you get to kind of sass off at him and he's going to do like miracles with sheepskin, right? I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, even in absence of this dialogue, God speaks to you today if we will just listen And that same promise of identity and purpose that he gave to Gideon, he gives to each and every one of you. All right, so this is the promise. This is a verse, by the way, that if, if, you know, a lot of people say, what's the most important verse in the Bible? It's John 3, 16. Uh, I feel like actually, if, if I had to pick a verse that I wish every person knew for their own heart and sake, the verse that I would, I would just have 
everyone know is Ephesians 2 verse 10. This is the verse for you. Listen to this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's voice for each and every one of you. And do you see how in this one verse, he gives you two incredibly powerful things. He gives you an identity, God's handiwork made through Christ Jesus. And I want you to think about this word handiwork. What what it means ultimately is finest craftsmanship. You are the finest craftsmanship. Uh, And I I want you all to hear this because this is true. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. You are the best thing that God ever made. You are his finest craftsmanship. And yeah, sin entangles and we get broken down and we we make mistakes and it's so easy to beat ourselves up. But all of those things are kind of external to this one core truth that you are the best thing he made. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see all of the things that, 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 that hinder you and, and slow you down and drag you down. He sees the way he made you. He sees the design he has. And then out of that purpose, or out of that identity then flows this purpose. And again, I promise you that this is for each and every one of you, that there are good works. And, and this is the key thing. It says, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What that means is from the dawn of time, when he made Adam and Eve, God knew that you were going to be around in 2018. And he knew that there was going to be a person who needed love, who needed service, who needed someone uh, to, to be that voice in the hands of God to them. And he said, you know what? You are the only one who can do it. You are the only one who has the giftings, the talents, the, the background, the relationships. You are the only one who is uniquely placed to reach that person, to love that human being, to save that cause, whatever it might be. And I don't know what it is for each and every one of you here, but what I promise you is if you're willing to let God's voice truly give you this identity and let it flood you and be a part of how you actually live your life and not just something that you rely on for maybe heaven one day, that you're going to discover that purpose in amazing, powerful ways because you are the only one who can do it. We are the ones we've been waiting for because God made you. And it will be hard. Like that's, that's part of the, the thing, right? Like what Gideon was asked to do, it, just because God designed you that way, just because it's a purpose that God gave you does not in any way, shape, or form mean that it's easy. And that can be wearying, and that can make you want to not engage. And again, it's, I, I understand any person who says, I don't really want God's voice in my life. I understand it. Because it's intimidating, it's scary, it's hard. And yet I also believe it's the only way that you're going to find true fulfillment and meaning. I know I, and I say that because this is where I've been for the last few weeks. I, I, I myself have just had a lot of overwhelming stuff on my plate and on my life and, and just trying to keep all the balls in the air. And, and I look around at other people that, that don't do this church thing and I, and I just go, it sure looks so much easier what they have. Like, like what, what if I just settled for, for that? I just, there would be so much pain and so much struggle taken out of my life if I just kind of checked out from this uh, and just settled for less. And in that moment, I got a word of encouragement uh, from a writer named Donald Miller. Don Miller wrote a, a book, Blue Like Jazz is What Made Him Famous, but he wrote a new book called um, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And this is the opening page 
of the book. Don Miller writes, if you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put a record on to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to feel meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. A lot of times I'm tempted to settle for the Volvo. (laughs) It'd be a much easier way to live. But along with Don Miller, I actually trust and believe that there is a storyteller who created the whole universe from scratch, who, who did all the cosmos, all the mountains, and yet looks at you and says, you're the best thing I ever made. And I've got a design and a story for your life that if you would just lean into it, let my voice speak over you, you will accomplish things that you never would have guessed. You will live into yourself in a fuller way than you ever would have thought or imagined. And if we trust that, if we believe that, that's the only way I think we find identity that lasts through all the ups and downs of life. I think it's the only way that we find a purpose that continues to guide us as we make choices uh, and, and, and face all the different options ahead of us in life. And if we're willing to tap into God's voice, I believe that you will discover yourself and discover a way that you can make an impact And it will be so much better than anything you could have dreamed of for yourself. Amen.